They want me to start this morning by uh, going over with everybody uh, a little bit about what's going on. We've got, we finally got movement out, out back. Somebody say hallelujah. Uh, that's really phase one. What we're doing is, of course, we've partnered with Back Creek and Karis. They had a graduation yesterday that was absolutely amazing and uh, really, really enjoyed that. So we're, if you're first time here or you uh, hadn't been here much, we're partnering with Back Creek Christian Academy and Karis Bible College. Uh, they're they're uh, setting their facilities up in the back. We're also taking some of those facilities and we're using them for our children's ministry. And uh, Karis has taken some of that spot to do their to do their stuff as well. Um, that's really phase one. What we've got to do is get those completed. Get a CO on that. That's a certificate of occupancy, right? Do we have a slide that shows phase one? Uh, so so. Uh, and that was an old slide because all that deck right there has been decked. It's, it's complete. So uh, there's some pretty amazing things that are going Oh, that's actually the side, isn't it? That's that long run. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, but anyhow, they're, they're, they're getting that complete. That's looking to be um, June 1st, maximum hopefully June 30th. Uh, that we'd be able to get a CO. Once you get that, our offices will be moved. I'll finally have an office for the first time in 10 years. It'll be in the back, and that's going to be that's going to be great. Um, we'll also do our area kids and our children's ministry and nurseries back there. Once we get that done, we can move to phase two, and phase two is actually the upgrades and renovation around here. What we're going to do is increase our seating capacity to, from uh, 180 to two, uh, 507, I think it is. Uh, so um, we're going to move, move that, move everything sideways, upgrade our bathrooms, put a new foyer in out front. It's just, it's, it's really going to be nice. We're going to, you know, upgrade our, our sound system and our video capability. It's going to be modern. We, of course, we have to change the air conditioning. Maybe we'll be able to keep up with y'all's crazy exercising during worship now with a new air conditioned unit. So all, all those things are, are happening. Um, that will begin as soon as we get a CO. And, uh, and we're looking at about a three or four month process to do the full upgrade renovations before we'd be able to, to seat the 500. And then we'll go back to one service for, for about three months, and then we'll decide. <laughs> well, let me give you some financial things. In 2018, uh, $77,407.40 were given toward the building fund. In 2019, we've had almost $13,000 given with a total of $90,395 given toward the building fund. We've actually spent about $135,000 so far. Now, what, what we said, we hadn't even really started. Well, we have because we're partnering with Back Creek. Like we had to tap into the to city water. The tap for the city water and to, uh, to do that was $100,000. And we, we split that with Back Creek. So praise the Lord for Back Creek that, that we're able to get some of those things, some of those things done. 
Uh, and we, we've also got to do the landscaping, the parking lot, the sidewalks that are coming. There's going to be a sidewalk that runs all the way the length of the parking lot down through there. It, you know, I hear a lot of people complaining about our gravel, you know. <laughs> Just, you know, go deep into them pockets and we'll build you a parking lot. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> all it takes is money. If we get that thing done, you know, I'd love to have a, a paved parking lot as well, but it does take funds. So um, we, we're grateful for what you're doing. Don't, don't stop. Uh, we need to continue what God is doing. If you'll come um, on the volunteer night on June the 5th, we're going to go into more detail. We're going to have things on our website that we're going to begin to put out uh, that's going to to keep you posted on what's going on. I just want to take one little quick more second just to tell you the process and where we're at. The first thing that we've got to do, Doug, Doug Murray is our, he's, he's our uh, CFO, but we don't have CFOs at church, but that's what he does. He's, he's taking everything financial, working with our guy in Boone that does, does all our accounting in Boone that does all the financial stuff. And we're actually putting together a plan with the contractor of, of, of just what we can present to the trustees. When we present something to the trustees, it's going to be able to work, and we're going to be able to finish the project, right? And because the trustees' goal is, and their, and, their, and their job is to say, this is not a stupid thing to do. This is financially feasible, and so we approve doing this project because you've done all your due diligence. And so we'll do that, present that to the trustees. The trustees will give approval uh, on that, and then we'll, we'll begin to go. So what we're doing now is we're still gathering the data, trying to make a presentation to the trustees and to the bank, which we're close, and uh, making sure that we can do everything that, that the Lord has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Is that good? Yes. You guys excited? Yes. Cool. Open your Bible to Acts, put your finger in Matthew, and put your finger in John. And, uh, and we're going to talk about a few things. I love what you said, Steve, Stephen, uh, about what Jesus did. Uh, and I love the picture that you painted about wherever you are, wherever you've been, no matter what you've done, the love of God is able to cover that. You know, the message of the cross and the message of Jesus and the message of salvation is no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've messed up, the love of God bridges the gap to perfection. That's what Jesus died on the cross to do, to bridge that gap. But he loves us too much to actually leave us there. And so this morning, what I wanted to do is to kind of get back to some fundamentals of the faith and, and go over those things. Um, we're going to open up our fall small groups in those things to help build your faith in understanding why you believe what you believe and the fundamentals of, 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 of your faith. And so the place I thought we would start is the whole idea of being born again. Being born again. You know, when you, when you take that word, you say, well, that's, that's, that's elementary. It is elementary, except for the fact that, that that whole idea is being attacked in our culture. If you identify yourself with being a born-again Christian, it has a stigma on it that the culture has placed on it to devalue what Jesus intended for it to mean. And, and so it is actually attacking the idea of you must be born again. Jesus is the one who said you must be born again. And so when you identify with the born-agains, 
you compartmentalized in a fundamental, narrow-minded, hard-headed group of people who are intolerant. That's your basic cultural definition of born again. I don't believe <laughs> that that's Jesus' definition. I don't believe that's Jesus' intent. And so there are several places in Scripture. Uh, one of them's in Acts, the other's in Matthew, the other one's in John. And, uh, and one of them, uh, the Acts, is, is they're in prison and, and they're asked by the guard, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have salvation? And Jesus' promise is today you're going to be saved. Not only are you going to be saved, but you and your household. And so today I want to help you answer the question. All of us has friends and family members who, who, who identify with Christendom, but they have no fruit of actually being saved. They, they, I mean, if you, didn't, if you didn't know, you wouldn't think they had a relationship with Jesus at all. And so how, how, do you, how do you believe and how, how do you begin to pray and how do you help be a minister of, of the gospel? And I think the starting place is, is to remember what Stephen just said, is, and that is that Jesus came to bridge the, bridge the gap of perfection. So no matter where your friend is, no matter where your relatives are, Jesus' sacrifice is enough to bridge the gap. And we're made righteous by the righteousness of Jesus. There's another, there's another story. It's called The Rich Young Ruler, and it's found in Matthew chapter 19. And he asks the question, what good work must I do to have eternal life? It's an interesting question because oftentimes we associate salvation with good works. And Jesus basically answers the question, there's no good work you can do. <laughs> There's nothing good. There's no one good except God himself. And so, and so he begins to ask that question, but there's a question that says, there's, uh, what must I do to be saved? What good work do I need to do to enter eternal life? And then Jesus presents to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he can't have eternal life. Now, one of the misconceptions and what you need to be solid on about understanding being born again is, is that we're all eternal beings. You see, we're the only thing that when we were created, it says God breathed, and that word for that breath is, is the same word for the Holy Spirit. It, God breathed in the man, and he became a living soul. He didn't breathe in a lion. He didn't breathe in an elephant. They're all cre created. He, he's, he's creating, he, without the breath of God, he's creating mankind in his image. And he breathes his spirit. And our spirit is born again. Our soul's not born again. Our soul is healed from being born again. Our spirit is born again. And it enters into a place of eternity with God instead of eternity separated from God. And so you need to understand and be really clear that we're eternal beings whether we live in heaven or not. We're all going to live forever because we have the spirit and nature and character of God. There's, we're spirit beings. And so when you're born again, you're just born into the family of God, eternity with the Father.
right? And so there are basically um, three different things that, that Jesus brings out in all of these scriptures as, he, as the Holy Spirit writes the Word of God and gives us this pattern for living. There, there's this pattern for living. <laughs> That's my daughter. She just went, sorry. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Thank you, baby. <laughs> she knows her daddy. Anyway, see, he's gone. He's, pattern for living, yeah. There's this pattern for living that, that, that is identified in this whole idea of being saved or born again that we really need to go. Because, because what we sometimes we think and how we begin to posture ourselves is that once we're born again, we don't need to go through that pattern again. And, and I think that's a misconception. I think there's a pattern. There's three things that happen. There, there's repentance that happens. And, and then you have to believe. And then you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But, but that, that, that repentance and that believing and that confession is a pattern of living that we need to, to, to continue. It needs to be relived. It needs to be something that is a continuous lifestyle for those who are born again. You say, what do you mean? I, I, I'm saying that, that so often times in life, there are too many things that happen that knock us off track. You know, how many have ever been knocked off? I mean, things are going great with you and God. I mean, you feel the presence, you're in the kingdom, and oh, 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 everything's warm and fuzzy. You got cold chills all the time. You're hearing the voice of God. You feel like you're like dead sinner. Man, I'm in it. I mean, I'm smoking. And all of a sudden, this event happens, and boom, you, can't, you feel like you're in the wilderness, and nothing's going right, and God's way off, and what in the world is going on? And, and, and then we get to this place where we have to realign, and so instead of understanding that God has set up this pattern for living, we try to get our life squared away by making rational decisions. We begin to try to set ourselves back into a place of, of, of making logical choices to set ourselves back up so that we can get back right with God. And God is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I got this pattern of living. What I want you to do is I want you to repent. I want you to realign yourself with me because I still have a plan for you and that plan is to prosper you and not harm you. No matter whether you made a bad decision or not or how you got in this place, he says, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to be unfaithful to you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to prosper you, but you've got to come get me. And so no matter how, how bad you mess up or whatever life throws at you, there's this place of repentance, and repentance means stop going the direction you're going and align yourself with God. Repentance is not this, this spiritual word. It just means simply Stop going the direction you're going and align yourself in a different way. Align, realign yourself with God. It actually has the idea of, and I'm going to take my contact out. I forgot to do it this morning. Sorry, y'all. So I can read this. Or if I can't, you know, I won't be able to. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for old man's eyes. There you go. It actually means a change of mind as it appears to one who repents of a, of a purpose. You've got this purpose, and it's already been formed in your mind, but, but you, what you do is you, you stop that, that way of doing, and you align yourself with something else. That's what repentance is. 
And so, and so you get knocked off track. You, life throws you a curve or you make a bad choice and you're off track and, 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 and you're just struggling. And Jesus says, just refocus on me. And we, and we so oftentimes don't do that. We so often try to, try to get ourselves back on track versus actually coming to a place where we say, Lord, man, I really messed this thing up. What do you want me to do? I really believe, God, that you've got a plan to prosper me and not to harm me, and I've kind of bumped that thing as I saw it off the track. But, but I don't believe that what you said about me, I don't, I don't believe I've disqualified myself from you wanting to prosper me. But I do believe that there might be a different way. What's that way look like? Help me to discover that way. There's, there's a pattern of repentance, not only to be born again, but to live life. And so let's look at the word believe. Let's look at the word believe, and I'm going to associate that with the act story. I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible. And uh, the Amplified Bible, it throws some extra words in there, and what it's actually doing is going back to the Greek or the Hebrew. Well, it's actually the Greek because this is a New Testament deal. It's going back to the Greek and giving you some of the words uh, in the Greek for those, those particular highlights that it, it thinks is important. He having received... So strict a charge. Uh, this is the this is the uh, the guards and the in the ma uh, magistrate that they there in uh, in Rome. Put them into the inner prison, the dungeon, and fastened their feet to stocks. But about midnight, as Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. There's a life lesson right there, y'all. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. Now, let me, let me just go back. They were in prison and they were singing about it, about the Lord. And it was affecting those things around them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the very foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the doors were open and everyone's shackles were unfashioned. When the jailer startled out of his sleep, he was startled out of his sleep, saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and, he w and, and uh, as he drew his short sword, he was at the point of killing himself because he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And then the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling and terrified, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out of the dungeon. He said, men, what is it necessary for me to do that I may be saved? And they answered, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself up to him. Take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself to his keeping, and you will be saved. And the apostles both too. And, and this applies to your family as well, for you and your household will be saved. And they declared the word of the Lord and the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ and eternal salvation in the kingdom of God to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour and immediately started cleaning their wounds and, and they were baptized immediately, he and the members of his household. 
Then he took them up into the house and set food before them. And he leaped much for joy and exulted with all his family that he believed in God, accepting and joyously welcoming what he had made known through Christ. There's this beautiful picture of a whole family coming to, to the Lord. Now, you see all of those things. You know, so oftentimes that the church has this easily listening, easy listening message. Let me say that three times real fast. Easy listening message that all you have to do is confess with your mouth. But what, what I want you to see here is the repentance has already happened. The repentance had already happened. You see, what happened was this guy was about to be God and take his own life and fall on his sword. But they said, stop what you're doing. We're all here. And the jailer stops what he's doing and then asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. And he believed because he confessed Jesus. You see all that there. What must I do to be saved? Stop, align yourself with God, begin to serve Him in His way, and you'll be saved. What I love about the salvation message and what Jesus did is He loves you so much there's nothing that you could do that would keep you out of heaven. In other words, there's no sin great enough that eliminates you from the ability to become a child of God. Because the love of God bridges that totally no matter what you do. But the love of God also uh, empowers you as you confess and live this pattern of living. Repent, believe, and confess to transform you into the image of Christ. You see, whatever that gap is, God doesn't expect that gap to be the same by the time you finish your life. The gap by the power of God and the work of the cross should, should be smaller in that perfection. Because he, 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 he admonishes us to, to be perfect as he is perfect. In John chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. It was quoted yesterday. It says, as Jesus was in this world, so are you. John says that about you and me. He says, those things are true. And so th there has to be this place where we believe that Jesus' love for us bridges the gap no matter what we do. We also, in our life, in our pattern of living, have to believe that His power and His work at the cross is able to transform us into a person who no longer does those kinds of things any longer. Jesus always said, you know, here's your sin, now go and sin no more. He, he always says, there's, there's this power that's coming upon you that you no longer have to have a lifestyle of that sin nature. You can, you can continue to repent, believe, and confess. And, and so let's look in Matthew 19, verse 16, and I'm going to talk about repentance a little bit. There's this young man, and he comes to Jesus, a young lawyer. He's a teacher. And he says, he says to Jesus, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? <laughs> and Jesus is basically saying, there isn't one. 
And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. That's Jesus. If you would enter life, if you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said to him. Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, all of these are kept. Do you think that's true? Probably not. What do you still like? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What he's asking is, he is eliminating the idea of repentance from his repertoire of words. He he, he's, he's going down this road where he's looking for what he can do good to enter the kingdom other than confess that he isn't good. And Jesus said there's only one way, and that is to confess and put your hope in the one who is good, and that's me. Then he goes, well, you know, well, I've done all that. And he, Jesus says, well, let, let, me, let me just touch the thing that I'm pretty sure you'll be aware of. Go sell everything that you have. And he says, he wants away sad. He wants away sad. When Jesus touches the thing that doesn't look like him, what he's expecting in that moment is repentance. We don't know the end of this story. We have no idea whether that young man actually went home and said, okay, I'm going to sell everything I got. We, we don't know the end of the story. He could have repented. He could have seen, we don't know, but what we do know is that it requires repentance to actually do the thing and align yourself with what Jesus said do. And there is no good thing. You cannot work your way into heaven. There's no good thing you can do to get in. There's only one way in, and that's through the one who's good. Everybody knows that, right? But when you hear people saying it, when you're praying for people that you love, you need to really be praying in, in touch with the, the thing that actually has the ability to move them into a place of being a child of God. And that they, they come to a revelation of their need to repent and believe, or believe and repent. And this young ruler hadn't made a decision whether he believed yet, and so he hasn't repented. And it's really in that, oh, do I believe God? Do I believe this to be true? And, and that brings us to the most important part, and I really want you to understand confession. Confession is so important because what we do is we have the opportunity, and so many people have heard the message of Christ. If you live in America, you've heard the message of Christ, and you've got to make a decision whether you're going to believe. And whether you believe the message or not, it's not... Um, it's not the end all because you can believe and not repent. But, but so, so when you believe something, you have, it has to bring you to a place where you repent and, and then it has to, you have to come to a place where you can confess. So let me just read quickly what the definition of believe is and then we'll go on to confession. Believe means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, to place your confidence in. I believe and I'm placing my confidence in this truth. 
to trust in Jesus or God as able to aid either in obtaining or doing the will of God, to entrust a thing or someone. It's, it's fidelity. It is, it is agreement. It, it is it's walking with I believe that. Romans says it this way. No man who believes in him, who adheres to or relies on and trusts in him will ever be put to shame or be disappointed. You got that up there? That's Romans chapter 10, verse 11 through 13. Let me read it again. The scripture says, No man who believes in him, who adheres to his policy, who relies on him and trusts in his name, will ever be put to shame or be disappointed. No one, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The Lord, the same Lord is Lord over all of us. His generosity bestows his riches upon all who call upon his name in faith. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, invoking him as Lord, will be saved. John 1.12 says, But as many as you did receive and welcome him, he gave the authority, the power, the privilege, the right to become the children of God. That is, to those who believe in him, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name. There's a, there's a belief that happens. But confession is a little different. You see, there's, there's really two types of confession. The first type of confession is you confess your sin. Uh, Romans says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Are we familiar with that? When you confess that. So, so there's this confession of sin. And we've heard that in church all our lives, and it's, you know, it's, instill fear in us and all those kinds of things, but it really shouldn't. It, it, really says, it really says you acknowledge your bad choices, your wrong direction, your bad actions. In other words, it's saying, I'm aware. Uh, there's a sobriety. There's an awareness that I'm not aligned with God. That's confession of sin. I, I, I believe in who Jesus is. I believe in who he says I am. I believe that his way is right. And, and I believe that anything that's contrary to those things is sin. And so when I see myself in that, I want to confess that I see that and I believe in what Jesus did to bring me into the family of God. But there's a second part of that confession that's so important that I don't think that we get oftentimes as believers this part of this, this, this lifestyle that God has called us to, this pattern of living. And that is that you confess, I'm sober-minded, I see where I went wrong, I see where I erred, but I also see the truth. You see, repentance takes this place where you believe God and you see yourself. You actually have to begin to move. And so just confession of sin isn't enough. You also have to confess the truth to actually begin to move in that truth. In other words, you say, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I have thoughts that aren't pure, or I have, I have an anger issue, and, and, and I say things that I wish I did, didn't say, or do things that I wish I didn't do, or, or I, I know I'm not handling my finances the way God wants me to. Well, 
confession of that sin is not enough. Do you see what I'm saying? You actually have to confess the truth of the Word of God over yourself so that you actually begin to apply the Word of God and you move from a place of failure to a place of prosperity. That's, that's the pattern of living. God says, I want to bring you life and bring it to you more abundantly. But unless you move into a place of truth by confessing the truth over yourself, the truth of the Word of God, there's no way for that thing to take work. You say, you say about myself, I, 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 I've been an angry man all my life, but I know by the Spirit and the power of God that I'm no longer going to allow my anger to cause me to sin because the power of God is greater than any emotion or any work, and He's able to heal me, mind, soul, and body. You confess the truth of the Word of God, and that moves you into a pattern or living of prosperity. You see, if you just constantly confess your sin without moving into a place of victory, you just are going to live in a place of, it's just a black hole. It's not a place of victory. And God says, when you confess, you've got to come to this place where this is who Jesus is. He loves me. He loved me so much, he bridged whatever gap I made. Not only did he love me that much, his power working in me is able to move me to a place that looks more like him. And so I'm going to live a, a pattern, a lifestyle of, of, of this whole idea of belief, repentance, and confession. Lord, so this doesn't look like you. Do you know how many times that I hear people say, well, I'm just like that. They, they describe a sin or a failure and go, yeah, you know, that's just the way I've been. Been that way all my life. Guess I'm going to have to learn to live with it. And, they, and you just, you're, you know, you're, you're, you have some semblance of sobriety, but you have no way to come to a place where you don't look like that anymore. And God says, I, I, I want you to confess the truth because I want you to become something different. And so let's look at what, what Jesus' conversation to Nicodemus looked like. It's a, it's a great, great conversation. Let, let, let me set this up real quick. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. I mean, he's a teacher. He, he has gone through school. He had a personal trainer from the time he was 12. At, at the age of 12, Bar Mitzvah, a Jew, either enters into this long life of education or, and, they, and they're the top students. Or, or you go to work in this day. You either went to work or you went to school. And how you went to school is you had, you had a teacher. And that teacher took you under his wing and he taught you all the scripture and he walked with you. And that's what Nicodemus did. All his life he knew the scriptures. All his life he studied. All his life he had a passion for God. All his life he, he wanted revelation of God. So he's not this messed up person who's lived a, lived a sin-filled life, he's a, he's a believer pursuing God, trying his best to do that. And he comes to Jesus. And he's coming to Jesus and he's slipping to him at night because he really believes. 
But he, he doesn't know how, he didn't know how to move into this thing. And, and he's coming to Jesus and he's looking for answers. He wants answers from God. And, and so he comes to Jesus and says here in, in John 3, there's a man of the Pharisees and his name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And, and then this man sneaks out at night. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God has sent him. You see the faith? You see the, the recognition and, and him just pursuing and wanting answers? And Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? That's a good question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it, you hear the sound of it, but can, cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's an, a, a definite evidence of your being born again. There's going to be effect of you being born again. Nicodemus answered him and said, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify that we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who has come down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses is lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, that, that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the, of the, of, of the Lord, the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loving darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. There's this definite difference in a human being who's living a lifestyle of believing, repenting, and confessing. And even though you do it and are born again, and the Spirit of God comes in and He saves you, and His Spirit comes in you, and you get filled with the Holy Spirit, there are going to be times where you need to believe the things of God about you. How many would say, you know, Man, it's so hard for me to believe that God wants to prosper me. It's so hard to believe that I can be healed from this. It's so hard for me to believe that, that all this generational 
actions and these, these, these character traits that have been handed down from generation to generation, then I could actually be the one that God broke that off of. It's a place where you have to believe that that's why Jesus came. And you have to repent and, and see and, 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 and begin to, to move toward God and, and understand that he wants to save you. And then you, when you confess, you confess how, how it doesn't look like God. And then you confess how God looks. And you begin to confess that over your life. And as you do that, you'll find that he breaks that off because it's like the wind. You, you, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily see it. You don't necessarily feel it, but you see the effects of it, and it brings glory to God. There, there's a there's a lifestyle. There's a pattern of living of repent, believe, and confess. Now, let me just let me let me, let me say this. There's no sin that you're ever going to commit that's going to eliminate your title, and that is saint or child of God. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And so there's no sin. Once you come into the family of God, they can keep you from except blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I don't even want to get into that. But, you, you know, that, that's deep. This is deep enough, wouldn't you agree? James chapter 4 Says five says this. He says, he says, confess your sin to one another so you'll be healed. It doesn't say confess your sin to one another so you can have eternal life. It says, without confession, that you need repentance and you need to believe the things of God. You have no ability to be healed. You can be a child, a saint, a son, a daughter of the Most High God, and live in a place of failure, complacency, and a desert because you don't confess your sin to one another because God wants you to confess the truth over your life and bring healing and health to every arena. There's not a place in your life that God doesn't want to realign to his way. And he says, he says about you and me, Stephen, that my love's great enough to cover any chasm of sin or choice that you've ever made, but it's also great enough to perfect you as you believe, repent, and confess. It's a lifestyle of be being transformed. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the power and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can be perfected, complete, lacking nothing. Isn't that an exciting opportunity? How about the idea that as you're transformed into the image of God, as you believe, as you see, as, as, as you have a, 
uh, uh, Zacchaeus type experience, your household gets saved. Are you being radically, so radically, do you believe and have so much faith, so much radical faith, and, 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 and are radically repenting on such a, a fast pace, accelerated pace, confessing your sin and confessing the truth of the Word of God, that you've been transformed in front of your family members' eyes to such a degree they can't help but they say, God had to do that. God had to do that. Does it bring glory to God? Does it bring glory to God? So this morning, I pray that we understand that the devil's job is to kill, to steal, and destroy. What that looks like to me is to knock you off your path. It's to knock you off the anointing. It's to knock you off what he's doing in your life. And how you respond to that is paramount. It is absolutely imperative that you believe what Jesus says about you. That you repent of anything that you're doing that's contrary to the way he would do it. And that you confess not only what that looks like, but what the truth looks like over you. So you can let God know that you know the difference. Does God know you know the difference? Or do you know the difference? Lord, I know this isn't right, but it's just the way I am. Lord, I know this isn't right, and I don't want to be like this because you're not like this. I need you. I want what you are. Meet me again. I want what you are. Meet me again. Meet me again, God. Meet me again. Meet me again. I remember how you met me in 1988. Meet me again. Meet me again. Take me to a new place. Give me more revelation. Allow me to see what you want me to see. May I respond in a way, God, that will bring you glory. May I confess not only my missteps, but the truth about what you say about me and what I'm capable of as I depend on your grace. Father, let that be, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Cool? Good.